Hello and welcome back to Connecting to Host. Today we're going to be talking about Offworld Trading Company, a real-time strategy game where the focus is on mining for resources and controlling the stock market instead of combat and warfare. Offworld Trading Company is available now for £30 or €40 Euros on Steam or from Stardock directly and it's available on Windows and Mac. We played uh, the early access version but it's actually coming out in just a few days so exciting times. What are you playing it on Ben? Uh, I'm playing it on my 5k iMac. 5k all right. For I'm not, some playing, not playing it at 5k. <laughs> 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 I think I'm playing it at 1440 but uh... Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. I mean, I've not had any performance issues, so it's all good. Cool. And I'm playing it on my beast of a gaming PC, window, running Windows. So uh, no performance issues here, surprisingly. Um, cool. So yes, there are some single player features to this game, which we'll quickly rattle over so we can focus on the co-op side. There's a, there's a campaign you can play through. There's a daily challenge which pops up so you can kind of compete online, but you're playing it on your own. And there's a skirmish mode so you can set up an offline game to train against the AI, I guess. Uh, when it comes to multiplayer features, there's a match-based uh, gameplay, so using ranked or just kind of free-for-all lobby. And when you're playing in a lobby, you can limit it to just playing with your friends, but you can also add AI bots to flesh out the match so you can just play with one or two friends and also some set, sort, of, sort of nice, easy AI, yeah. <laughs> apart from when they kick your ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we lost frequently to the AI. But, uh, interestingly, <laughs> you, can't, the... you can't set the difficulty level for the AI. You set your own difficulty level, so you basically give yourself a handicap rather than changing how complex or easy it is for them. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So each player can have its own handicap, but you couldn't change that for the AI. And I, I wonder if that will be something which changes in the release version, or if they just decided no, there's one type of AI and it plays the same. So, yeah. but we we found the handicap buttons for ourselves as and quick, and then we we started to win. So. Yeah, beginner. <laughs> so Ben, <laughs> do you want to give us a, a bit of an overview of the the setting in the game? Yeah, sure. Uh, it's it's set on Mars. Uh, and the, I think the basic idea, we had some discussion about this, but we think that you are on Mars setting up a colony, uh, mining resources to send back to Earth because it's set in the future and Earth's used all of its resources up. Uh, so the basic idea of the game is that you set up a company on Mars, you're going to mine various resources um, and sell them on the stock market, with the ultimate aim being to buy out all the other companies that have set up on Mars around you. Uh, so when you start the game, the map's completely random, uh, both in terms of layout, different terrains and such, uh, and also what resources are abundant or scarce. Um, and this really plays into the stock market mechanic, because uh, you're basically looking to find what's scarcest, uh, make it yourself so that you can sell it back and make a profit. Um, I mean, we'll go over it in more detail in a minute, because the stock market stuff is particularly complex, but it is kind of the the core thing of this game. Uh, but for the purposes of this episode, I think we'll probably just talk through uh, how a game progresses, really, and talk about each core mechanic. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's good. It's a it's a pretty tough game, I think, to to sum up in a podcast format. But I think if we try and cover each of the, yeah. again, how you play a game from start to finish, and and each of the main mechanics that you interact with, then hopefully we can we can get a good picture of what's going on. So, so I'll kick off with the the very start of a new match, and it begins with a randomized map, as Ben said, and in the middle of that is a is it's a colony outpost, right? I, I think uh, so. It's some the sort marketplace. Of, yeah. Mm. 
Uh, but you actually have a fog of war over the remainder of the map. And you get every five or ten seconds or so, you get like another scan, which lets you see just a small area of the map. And you can only go out from places that you've already done. So you can kind of always start to go off looking at it. And you obviously quickly, hurriedly clicking over the map to try and find out where the resources are, what sort of resources are in abundance. Maybe a good place to start your, your headquarters so that you can start to have the best access to most resources. And but you want to have a good picture of whether there's a lot of carbon or a lack of water, say, so that you kind of know what's going to happen in the market before you commit. Because if you see loads of water and go, ah, this could be the only water, build your base there, and then the whole map is covered in water uh, and all the really expensive resources are miles away, then you've made a poor start to the game and you're going to be in trouble. And that is important because uh, when you mine stuff, you do have to ship it back to your base, which takes time, unless you get a certain pattern, which we'll come to later. But it's important to choose the best place for your base uh, so that you aren't having to travel miles and miles in order to pick up these resources because the time taken to do that uh, will affect how much you can effectively mine. But on the flip side, you don't want to take too long picking your starting location, otherwise someone else might get there first. <laughs> and that's happened to me many times. Oh, yeah. this is starting to look good. <laughs> Just about to click and then scientific colony founded. You're like, no! Um, but one important part of the, the pre-game is that you also have to pick your headquarter type. And that's something which you do while you're scanning the planet, so you can make this decision dynamically. And there's four different types of headquarters you can build. There's expansive, robotic, scavenger, and scientific. And each one comes with its own, I guess, kind of own set of perks and disadvantages. So, for instance, the expansive colony gets more claims, which we'll talk a bit more about later. Whereas the robotic colony doesn't need to worry about fewer sort of water and food and oxygen because heh, they're all robots. But then... Um, but then they don't get the bonus claims like the expansive ones have. So they, maybe they're a slightly easier one to start with, but you don't get other benefits. Then there's the scavenger headquarters, which builds their buildings using carbon instead of steel, which is kind of interesting because everyone else is kind of steel hungry. So they can start to upgrade their fat, their kind of headquarters and their other buildings. But you don't have to worry about that, that stock complexity. And then there's a the scientific base, which gets more use of research so they can research some more of the advanced technology quicker so, um, yeah it's it's i don't think i've really got that ability yet to look at the map pick the right headquarters and start to play it optimally <laughs> no i mean we always played as expansive didn't we or did you play as robotic i can't remember i played as robotic a couple of times and i think that's quite a good starting choice because it's with the other headquarter types you start off having to worry about food and water and you're instantly going into debt yeah that's um, true. so you're instantly under stress with robotic you're, you're not so that's true one of the really interesting things about this game um, is when it comes to mining and buildings um, you are very very limited in what you can do um, due to the system that they have called claims uh, which is when you can basically uh, i think you start off with five claims it might be more than that i think it's around five um and that allows you to choose a hexagonal tile and claim it as your own so no one else can build on it. Now, usually a tile will have something in it like uh, resources like carbon or aluminium. So you'd claim it so that you can build um, an aluminium mine on top of it, for example. But some have multiple purposes. So sometimes you might have two different elements to mine or uh, you might be able to build a wind farm there. 
or a solar panel, whatever you might want to do. But you only have a limited number of claims. Um, so once you've built the first five buildings, uh, you, you can't do anything else unless you upgrade your headquarter um, and get more claims, uh, which makes it very, very difficult because unlike most real-time strategy games where you're only limited by how much money you have, uh, in this you're not at all. You could be rolling in money but not be able to build anything that you want because you have no claims available to you, uh, which I think is a really cool mechanic, but it is also quite harsh um, mm. because you you really don't get many claims so uh, there are unforgiving yeah I mean it, it works well once you understand how it all plays together but it is pretty harsh when you start um, there are 13 different uh, not really elements but 13 different things that you can uh, trade in um, I can't name them all off the top of my head but they're things like water oxygen fuel power uh, carbon, steel, and so on. Um, and the way that you get these is you <clears throat> will typically mine them from the ground, um, be it uh, something like iron, you'd put a mine and just start taking it over time. Um, but then you can also get factories which will convert iron into steel uh, so that you can then have that resource. So some of them are dependent on other things to manufacture them. Uh, because of the way the stock market works, you don't necessarily have to have um, both parts of that process. So, for example, if you wanted to make steel, whilst you could build an iron mine and a steel one and then take all of the iron out of the ground and convert it into steel, you could instead just buy a load of iron from the stock market um, and then manufacture steel that way instead. Uh, so you've got quite a lot of flexibility. Um, and there's different things you can do with uh, power, for example. Um, you can build on a geothermal vent, which will give you a lot of power, but I think it's quite expensive when you first start out, and there's only certain tiles you can do that on. Or you I've only have... ever seen like a two or three in a map. I mean, maybe there's been a couple of the odd map, there's been a few more, but they're quite rare, aren't they, the geothermal tiles? Yeah. Because then you get an awful lot of power if you're near one th at the start. Yeah, they're spread out, but if you can choose a good spot, I mean, that's kind of a key thing when I'm looking for a place to put my base is choosing a geothermal vent nearby. Uh, but you can use wind power or solar, uh, but the solar panel obviously doesn't work at night, and there is a proper full day and night cycle, so for half the time <laughs> you won't get any power, uh, <laughs> which is not ideal. Um, so typically you would have one solar panel and one wind farm usually, or something like that. Uh, but it's it's interesting, there are an awful lot. Um, you, you've got special buildings as well, I guess you could probably cover that than me yeah so once you've started collecting resources and you might use your first couple of levels of your headquarters on just worrying about resources then you end up thinking hang on i've got a few extra claims here and then you start to get some some spare and there's five different types of special buildings that you can then build onto your headquarters uh, these are an engineering lab a hacker array a patent lab pleasure dome and the off-world market and each one of these things opens up a whole new set of features that you can access in the game. So you only have to build one of each. I mean, the Pleasure Dome, I guess, is the first one, and that just gives you income. So that doesn't really open up too much more gameplay. But the other four are really interesting. And then there's the, the Engineering Lab, which lets you upgrade your factories or your mines so that they produce more resources. Um, it's a good way of getting around so, the claim limit. Yeah, precisely. And I find myself... I like this building. I will always try and have it at some point in my game because, like you say, you've only got a limited number of claims and you want to produce more carbon and you can selectively upgrade. It's quite expensive to upgrade because it uses the chemical resource, which is 
not something you can just mine. It's one of the ones that you have to have a factory for and certain resources to feed into that factory. So it's not the easiest to make and it usually ends up quite expensive. But um, so you have to selectively upgrade. But it's nice that you can kind of go, ah, looks like electronics are really expensive in this game. I'm going to bump out my sort of bump up my production of those and make more. But it's a it's a simple special building because it just increases the efficiency of your your mines, etc. But it's very useful. Definitely useful when you're limited to how many mines you can build. Mm, yeah, and especially if there's limited spots for building mines. I mean, not only have you got to contend with claims, but if there's only three spots on the map with carbon yeah. and you've only got one of them, then you have to make the best of it. So uh, then there's the hacker array, which lets you temporarily manipulate the stock market. So I guess we'll talk more about the stock market in a little bit, all these features kind of loop back into each other, so it's yeah. <laughs> hard to pick an order to talk about them. But um, but obviously, the stock market primarily works around buying and selling, and the, the price goes up and down. And the hacker array lets you manipulate that price, so you can say, ah, there's a there's now a shortage in food, so the price will skyrocket, and then uh, then you can sell the massive stockpile of food that you've been selling. But obviously, other players will see that price change as well, and if they have a stockpile of food. They can jump on the bandwagon. And I've done that a few times because I've never bought a hacker array. But have you, Ben? Uh, no, I, I have when I've played it on my own, like doing a little skirmish or something. But I don't think I ever bought one in the games that we played just because I find it the least useful from the way that I tend to play. Um, I tend to like building lots of mines, getting basically mm. one of every resource and then upgrading them as much as possible so that they're generating a huge amount of income and then I'm pretty well protected to the fluctuations in the market because if something goes out, of, uh, if something uh, price crashes, it doesn't really matter because I've got lots of other income that can come in. Um, and then if something does go up in price, then I've got loads of it sitting idle that I can sell. Uh, so I tend not to do it so much. I probably should. Um, but the problem <laughs> is with so many, so few claims... I have other buildings I would rather build than the hacker array, mm. but it, it's useful. I mean, it's one of the nice things about this game is that there are loads of different ways you can play it, um, lots of different uh, styles of play. So for a lot of people, they might just use the hacker array. And I think you can build multiple of them uh, because there is a uh, cooldown period on it, uh, yeah. I, I believe. I'm pulling this completely out of my ass but uh, <laughs> uh, i'm pretty right. sure that you can build like two of them so that you can do multiple hacks at the same time rather than waiting for the cooldown and if that's not a feature they, it totally should be <laughs> see it in a week's time <laughs> yeah. but yeah that's a good building the only reason i haven't used it is because the game's complicated enough yeah. <laughs> it's fast paced and keeping track can be quite hard and i think maybe when i become more of an expert i'll be able to use it proficiently but at the moment i would be kind of i think i'd just be going ah maybe i can do this click 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 and it may or may not pay off so uh, i don't get a good enough long-term vision of the strategy yet but it's a it's definitely an interesting building that you can build later on so then there's the uh, patent lab which allows you to there are something like 12 or 13 right uh unique technologies in the game and only one player can ever own them, and you use this building to acquire those. Um, there was that funny moment in the last game that we played where we both researched the same thing. 
Yes, but only one of us got it because one of us researched it faster than the other. Um, it was you, your butt. It was me. <laughs> <laughs> there had been teleportation, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's that's the, by far. the one that we always rush for, isn't it? But but these range from a complete variety of things. So there's the, there's the teleportation, which, which removes the need to transport your goods back and forth, both reducing the time it takes and the cost of fuel to do that. So if you've got a lot of mines on the go, it's a really good pattern to grab. And also reduces uh, the risk of them being destroyed by other people, which we'll come mm. to shortly. But uh, yeah, that's a great pattern. But then there are other ones, and one of them is uh, you get to recuperate. So everyone can obviously be in debt to some degree in the game, and the debt grows over time, so you try and pay it off. But one of the patents allows you to accrue some of that debt. So if your other, if the other players are in debt, then you actually get a bit of a monetary bump every time their their debt goes up, or you know the the interest on their debt is accrued. So that's kind of interesting. And then there's one that doubles the power output for all of your buildings, yep. which I found really useful as the robotic headquarters. There's um, and... one that lets you do uh, uh, lets you power your vehicles with water rather than fuel, mm. which is useful if you happen to have a ton of water but no fuel. <laughs> and also it's one of those things where people might be trying to bump the price of fuel up because they know that you can't produce it. And then as soon as you get this pattern... <laughs> I don't need it anymore. So really interesting the way it changes the dynamic of play when you when you grab these special upgrades. But to get the patents, you have to um, not only have the, uh, what's it called, the patent lab, uh, but you also have to pay a certain price in chemicals. And again, as we sort of mentioned mm -hmm. earlier, chemicals are not the first thing that you will get because you require so many other things to build, uh, sorry, to generate chemicals. But I also find it really weird that both the um, patent lab and engineering lab use them um, because the first thing that I tend to do is to get my chemical mine up and running um, and then upgrade it to the maximum with the engineering lab so that I'm generating as many chemicals as possible so that I can then acquire as many patents as possible. Um, in that I find it, I, I kind of think that it'd be better if they used a different resource for the patent lab maybe um, or if there was some monetary cost to it as well. Uh, rather than just chemicals, because I think it's a little bit easy, if you know what you're doing, to just get all the good stuff straight away. But then I guess anyone could do it, so that makes it fair. But I do find it a bit Yeah, I, I think, like you say, there's maybe it impacts when you've got different skilled players. Yeah. And again, like like anything in this game, because there's so many different styles of play, some people will go for the patents and they want to just do that style of locking down all of these things to make it optimal <laughs> for them. Uh, but other people are going to be doing other things, like they might be manipulating the stock market such that your patents are essentially worthless anyway. So it's difficult to say which way is better. Mm. But then there's the, the fifth and final building, which is the off-world market. And as we said at the start, the, the overall idea of the game is that you're going to send resources back to Earth and they'll pay a lot for resources because they don't have any. So <laughs> even ones, uh, and the stock market prices for earth I, I think they're completely different they are the completely different in the game right yeah so you might end up sitting on a big pile of water which on the planet you know mars is worthless but actually on earth they're desperate for it so you can take 100 units of your resource and ship it back to earth and that process takes a long time because it has to go into a rocket 
and it takes time to load the rocket and then it takes time for it to get to Earth and, and you get the money. So it's not fast to keep sending rockets up, but you get a massive pile of catch injection when, when you do that. And this is obviously one of the end game things that you build to because the off-world market itself is really expensive to build. It needs a lot of resources, which usually equates to quite a lot of money. Uh, and there's a lot of time involved, but when these start to come out, you know that you're reaching the end game. And if you don't have one and everyone else does, you've probably lost. <laughs> one of the key things with them, though, is that they use up an awful lot of power um, in order to mm -hmm. fire the rockets. Um, and quite often, because the power fluctuates through the game, um, depending on what buildings you're using, like if you're researching a pattern, then that patent lab will be drawing power, whereas it doesn't when it's idle. Uh, or at least it doesn't draw anywhere near as much. And it's the same with the off-world market. So you build everything and you look and you're like, okay, I've got plus 0.2 power, so that's all good. And then you start trying to ship one of these things off and then your power goes to like minus 2.5 and you realize that you're suddenly being charged $100 a second for <laughs> power or whatever it might be. And it's like, oh my God. And I had that in the last game that we played and I was frantically building a uh, geothermal vent whilst the rocket was taking up. <laughs> and then just as it finished building geothermal vent, the rocket launched and my power went back up and then I got all the power from the vent as well. So it was like, oh, you've now got plus eight power. It's like, ah, oh, I hadn't realised that's what was causing the drain. <clears throat> nice. But I won, so it didn't matter. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> I guess um, the black market's an interesting thing. Um, I mean, they say that the game doesn't have any warfare <clears throat> which isn't strictly true because uh, the black market is how you will damage other players um, so you don't literally go out and like generate tanks and stuff and shoot people uh, but you can do things like drop electromagnetic pulses on their buildings um, or you can do things like organized riots or mutinies um, which will start sending the resources of a certain building back to you <clears throat> you can use pirates to blow up their little ships that are transporting goods back and forth. So there's all kinds of different tactics that you can use. But the interesting thing about the black market is that there is a cost for each of these things you want to do. So for example, organizing a mutiny might cost $1,000. But once you've bought it, the price goes up for everyone. It goes up more for you because you bought it. Um, but for everyone else, it also goes up a fraction of the price as well. So by the end game, it gets ridiculously expensive to use the black market because you've already used it so much. So you can't just keep electromagnetically pulsing <laughs> someone over and over and over and over again. <clears throat> well, you can if you've got enough money. Uh, yeah, but it, unless you're dirty rich. Yeah. <laughs> it does get exponentially more expensive. Um, but the other good thing about the black market is that you can buy more claims through it. Um, although those also go up exponentially as well. And most people will try and buy them as soon as possible because they're cheap. Um, so it's like a thousand dollars for a claim, and it's like yes. But then when it gets to like thirty thousand dollars for a claim, you're like, mm, maybe <laughs> not until uh, uh, later game. The other I thing think with that is one or two matches, the because the the icons are randomised, right? So yeah, um, I think there's about not always the same ones. Yeah, there's quite a few different options for the black market. I don't know the exact number, maybe fifteen, and I think it randomly selects eight. Um, so you don't always get the option to buy extra claims or to organize mutinies or whatever it might be. Um, they are random each time, which is nice. Yeah, it mixes the game up. It's uh, it's pretty cool. And again, I guess it comes down to the complexity of the game. I haven't interacted with them that much, but mm. 
I do like them. <laughs> yeah, it, it is good. And the other thing also to mention with the black market, and it's kind of related but separate, is um, auctions, which is sometimes stuff will just get auctioned by the game itself randomly. So you'll just get a little knock, knock, knock sound and they go, oh, we've got a patent for auction. $10,000 for teleportation. And then you can click to increase the price by however much it says. And then there'll be a five-second countdown. And then if no one else clicks the buy button, then you get it. Um, and the price just rises up like an auction. Um, <clears throat> but the interesting thing with that is that the money doesn't come out of your account. It just gets added to your debt. So the AI, for some reason, seems to be cash happy. <laughs> Uh, and the AI will just bid on all of this stuff crazily until it's got like a C debt rating and it's got like 100,000 pounds of debt. Uh, Which makes that pattern worth accruing interest from opponents' debts very useful against AI. Very, very useful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I'm always very proud of my AAA debt rating. Like, I always pay off my debt immediately, like a Lannister. But uh, <laughs> unfortunately, that doesn't actually help. It, it seems that you might be better off just getting into a huge amount of debt because it doesn't actually matter. Yeah, I, I don't feel right being in debt, but you might be right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I guess this leads us on to the, the stock market, which, while a core feature, isn't particularly complicated, but constantly down the the left-hand fifth of the screen, there is uh, the stock market is always on show because it's obviously that important to the game. And it shows you the quantity of each of the 13 resources that you currently have, or in the terms of power, how much you're generating or not each each second, uh, as well as, I suppose it also tells you that for the other resources, you get to see how much you are generating or losing per second so you can kind of get a feel for how well you're doing is my am i making enough water and like ben said i mean sometimes it's misleading because there's a reason why it's particularly high or low uh, but for the most part it's really useful because you get a very good grasp of your resources how many you're making how many you're spending and the current price of them now you can also buy or sell the, the resources on the stock market either individually in clumps of 10 or clumps of 100. And it's important to note that the price of that resource on the stock market changes immediately when you make a purchase. But obviously, if you buy 100 items, they're all at the listed price, and then the price will change in a big way compared to if you were to buy 100 items individually, and the price would gradually change. So I mean, if you're selling items specifically you, and there's a really good price, you just want to sell 100. Or you might even be able to control click and sell all of them. I'm not sure. No, I think I think there's a limit. <clears throat> I think 100 is the limit. Or maybe a thousand. I think it's a thousand. I think, does it? Ah. Maybe 10, 100, and a thousand that you can sell. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> and a thousand is a lot. I mean, I don't think I've ever had a thousand of a resource. Yeah, I could so. be lying. I think it might be a 10 and a hundred. Maybe, yeah. Uh, but. I know there is a key combination you can push that just sells everything you own. <laughs> is there? Uh, yeah, it's like Control Alt Down, and it just everything you have is sold immediately. So if you want to rush to buy someone out at the end, you can do that. I saw that in a tooltip on the last game we played. Oh so. what? Oh, I wish I knew about that. Because the last time we played, <laughs> I was selling by holding down Shift and just clicking through, and it's like the price was just disappearing until it was like a dollar per. It's like I don't care. Sell them all. Um, whereas if I'd sold them all at a fixed price, that would have been way better. Oh. <laughs> but I guess, um, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. It's very useful to have it there, and it it gives you all the information you need. The only 
the only magic I guess worth talking about is that if you have a, a setup where you desperately need food or oxygen, then it will just automatically buy it. And this is especially true of power. So if you find yourself in a situation, for instance, when you're firing rockets back to Earth and you have a high power usage, then you might have a, a negative power rate, which is quite high, so minus five or six. And then you'll see next to it that this is actually costing you $500 a second. Uh, hopefully that's a temporary situation. Otherwise, you're screwed. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, it's really nice to see that information there. Definitely, it is the information you need. It's not necessarily that easy to follow because of all the things driving that market and the resources. But it's, see, I, it's really, I think it's really, really cool that it's there. Really, really interesting mechanic because it's all changing in real time depending on what other players are doing. So if <clears throat> if I'm just playing along, doing whatever I'm doing, and John is suddenly builds a load of mines and gets a ton of water, then the price of water will go up or down depending on what he's doing with it. Like if he still doesn't have enough water because he's got the patent to power all of his buildings and uh, vehicles with water so he's using up a load, uh, then it might be that the price is going up because <clears throat> all of the water is being mined but all of it is being used. So there is a shortage so the price goes up a huge amount so if later in the game he acquires teleportation and he doesn't need all of that water suddenly the price will probably still stay up there for a while and then he's in a very strong position to sell it all and make <laughs> a huge amount of money um, and it's those kinds of things that are really interesting it's definitely a game about numbers because the whole point of it is stock market manipulation really and being mm. clever enough to try and spot the trends and sell what you don't need and buy what you do need at a low price. Um, in terms of the auto buying, uh, you can turn it on and off for certain buildings. So for example, uh, yeah, if you have a steel yeah. factory, I think by default, uh, if you don't have any iron, it won't make any steel, but you can click a button yeah. somewhere so that it will auto buy from the market. But you've got to watch out for that because if, <laughs> <laughs> if there suddenly becomes a shortage and the price spikes right up, uh, then you suddenly might be spending you know, $200 to make steel that you can only sell for $20. Um, so it, it does cause problems. Um, but I think it's really cool that, like, this is one of the features of the game that I really like, is that you can be in a scenario, because the claims are so limited and you have to be really careful about what you build. If you see that the map has an awful lot of, say, silicon mines, uh, and you know that silicon is a key ingredient for electronics, you might, you might decide the value of electronics is going to be five times that of silicon because there's so much silicon being mined. And you might not even bother building a silicon mine. You might build two electronics factories so that you can create more of the really expensive resource and just buy the silicon from other people. Uh, I think that's really cool. I mean, I, I tried that in the last game I played and it didn't work out for me. It wasn't those resources exactly. I tried something similar. The trick uh, with that, I, though, is to build your electronics uh, mine on top of the silicon. <laughs> you won't get the silicon, but then if suddenly someone screws you over and starts selling silicon for a ridiculously high price, you can destroy that one electronics building, but mm -hmm, you've still got true. the claim, so you can then build the silicon mine on top. So, top and I guess the, I guess the last thing before we move on to the next step, but that's a really good idea. But then there's also the temptation to build everything near each other because there's an adjacency bonus. Yes. So, you, I mean, ideally you would build your two electronics factories next to each other and one or both of them was on silicon um, but obviously if they're built right next to your base there's no cost in transporting it back but if you build it a, a fair way away on the silicon you've got the redundancy but you're paying to transport it so i think that's 
like that one example of how everything is integrally tied together in this game and i think that's really cool like and even further to that if you do everything if you do build everything right next to your base in a snake-like pattern so it's all connected so that you get it really quick uh then there is a black market thing which if you drop it on one building it disables all the ones that are connected to it so <laughs> if you just have everything spiral out of your base then that goes very very badly wrong very quickly <laughs> Um, I guess the final thing to mention uh, is about actually how you win the game, which is buying out other people. Um, so when you're playing in the top right-hand corner, there's a list of all the other players, uh, and it shows how many shares they own in their own companies um, and the stock price of that company. Uh, so, for example, I think you start with maybe four shares in your own company. I could be making that Definitely up on the on the settings we've played it with. I think it might be different for different settings. Ah, uh, okay. But yeah, so we started off with four. Um, and basically all you have to do is buy all the shares of the other companies to win, uh, which sounds simple, uh, but it's difficult because they get very, very expensive. Um, So you can only buy one share at a time, and then I think it's 100 times the stock price, 1,000 times the stock price? I'm not sure which. I think So if it's it's like $18, then you would pay $18,000 to buy. That makes sense. That's correct. Mm -hmm. Um, So... You can buy them, but then when all the shares are gone, you have to basically buy them out completely, which means buying all the remaining ones at cost price. So if I bought six shares in John's company and he's got four, uh, then I then have to pay to buy all the remaining four all at once. Um, And every time you buy shares in his company, his stock price is going to go up because it looks like he's doing well. Uh, And obviously, (laughs) as he's playing the game and making more money and doing well anyway, uh, you're going to have a higher stock price so it gets very expensive to do it Uh, and it basically leads to a mad dash at the end where you're selling all of your resources (laughs) as quickly as possible so you have enough money to buy everyone else out Uh, and that's how you win or lose as i did (laughs) yes (laughs) you would have lost a lot quicker if i knew i could just dump all of my stuff (laughs) (laughs) cool so i mean i I guess hopefully that gives a good picture of the game it's again quite hard to think of it but all the elements together are tied together into an awesome game. So maybe we should move on to what we liked and disliked about the game. Sure. Um, Well, I'll start off then. Um, I really like the stock market. I really like the mechanic and the fact that this is a game that is ostensibly a real-time strategy game and it looks like you're going to be building buildings and sending troops around. But it's not at all. It's just about money and figures, buying the right resources, selling them, you know, buying them at cheap price, selling them at a high price, buying shares and taking over other people's companies. I think it's a really good idea for a game and it's been very well executed uh, in this sort of sci-fi fantasy look and feel to it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a nice, uh, in terms of gameplay, it feels like a nice blend between a video game and a board game. I mean, it's too complicated to be a real board game. Yes. But... It has that kind of feel like you're going to go in, play for you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes for a game and hopefully win. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've played board games which do have stock markets uh, and stuff like this, um, specifically the 18xx games, uh, which are all about trains um, and typically take about eight hours to play. They <laughs> usually have a very solid uh, stock market mechanic where you do have this kind of... Uh, the aim of the game is to buy companies not how much money you yourself make it's whether or not you mm. can buy out the other people um 
so there are games that do it, but this does it in a, a much better way. I think saying it feels a bit like a board game is about right. It's sort of like a, a nice split between the two. And that leads me on to one of my likes, and that is the match length. And I think it's uh, just the right length, about 20 to 30 minutes, I think most of our games took. Yeah. You get you get a nice build-up phase where you're making your decisions early on. Then you kind of get the, the tense middle phase where you're thinking, right, now I need to play out my strategy. I might have a backup, but you're sort of trying to enact your strategy. And then you get to the end game. Sometimes the end game suffers, which I'll come on to in a dislike, but because it's feels pre-decided but i do like the match length you know it's not never too long and never sitting there going i've lost oh it's so boring come on 21 minutes before i can actually lose and also i mean with that you've also got the fact that you're always busy you're never just sat around mm. watching money trickle in like with a lot of real-time strategies you you know you're waiting to get a certain amount of money so that you can then build the next building and mine the next resource or do whatever it might be whereas with this there's so much going on all the time <laughs> that you're constantly firefighting everything mm. so you don't really feel like you're just waiting like you might be looking going oh i just need enough resources to upgrade my hq but then someone will electro you know, magnate something and <laughs> constantly battling everything um and on that and that's note, another thing Sorry, that's another thing I like is the, the complexity and you feel tense all the way through because you're not quite sure if you're winning or losing. Yeah. Um, and it's it's complex enough that you always feel like you don't quite know everything. So it is tense, but you know enough. Yeah. <laughs> you can see your money. You can see that you've got a lot of food and food is worth a lot of money. So you're doing well. And you can see that someone started buying out. So you're in trouble. You can get a basic feel very easily, but to learn all of it, whew, it's complicated. Yeah. But I think that's one of the, the nice things about it. It's got a lot of depth to it. Mm. And it's, from my point of view, it's, it's nice to play a, a real-time strategy for a change because you don't get many of these kinds of games anymore. Like we used to, like in the 90s, it was practically all we ever played was you just things like, you know, Command and Conquer uh, or even things like SimCity where you're, you know, all that sort of isometric top-down view where you're building stuff. Don't tend to get much of it around now. So I really like this uh, for not only being part of that genre, but for mixing it up a huge amount and being very different to other things. This isn't just your standard RTS. It's a lot more than that. A couple of other things that I like. Um, I really enjoyed the fact that we could add AI to our matches. I felt like if we were just playing one on one, then maybe you know. That sometimes when you're just no, it's not quite. For you. I mean, some game, <laughs> touche. Uh, some games are fun when you play just head to head, but this is the sort of thing where I think sometimes you know that you're losing. <laughs> but when there's AI involved, you can crush the AI first, and that's always fun. So you always get a sense of beating someone. Yeah. Like we're both beating the AI, and then when someone buys out both the AI, you know that you're next. <laughs> it's the Mario so, Kart effect. It's like you know. If you just had two people in Mario Kart, it'd be horrible. But when you've got eight, you can feel slightly better when you finish third. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Whereas when you finish third in a two-player game, you know you're doing really bad. <laughs> <laughs> but it probably happened to you, though, Ben, right? Yeah, I'm not very good at Mario Kart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then there's the other thing that I really like is the... So a lot of the sound samples, I'm I'm almost certain, were just computer generated in the early access phase um so they i think this is actually might change in a few days when they release the film I hope not. but um, i'm not sure about all the samples but 
maybe they'll change some of them. But there's some of the sound samples that have just become a staple enjoyment of the game. And one in particular is when it goes, look at all the money in a computer <laughs> voice. <laughs> and then obviously when sometimes when thing, bad things happen on the black market to your base, it's like, I hate those damn bandits. <laughs> But uh, yes, I don't know why they're particularly amusing, but look at all the money has become a bit of a catchphrase between us. <laughs> such a such a I don't know memorable phrase. <laughs> it's because it's using like that. You know, if like you use like the text to speech feature of a Mac, mm. where it like reads it out. Like before Siri came along, and they got quite good at making voices sound vaguely human. Like back in the nineties, when it was just terrible, it just sounds like that <laughs> like really robotic, terrible sound. But maybe that's what it is. That's like what makes a it funny. Throwback. <laughs> Throwback to retro gaming. So. High quantities of carbon found. <laughs> That's great. I love it. Uh, like, like megalomania in the Mega Drive. But yeah, so let's move on to some dislikes. Ben, do you want to kick this off? Yeah, I, my first dislike is a bit harsh because it's purely about the marketing for the game. Uh, and that they're very, like on the Steam page, it's very much like, oh, it's the first RTS game with no warfare. Like, oh, there's no combat. It's not true. The, the black market is definitely combat. Um, it's very combative when you're destroying people's ships, uh, knocking out their mines or stealing their resources. Uh, so I, I think that's a bit disingenuous. Uh, but also the black market itself is insanely harsh when you're winning. Uh, because mm-hmm. if you start winning, uh, especially in a game with maybe four people, uh, and you're rolling in money, you've got loads of resources, People just use the black market and just constantly target you, so you can't do anything. Like you just get electromagnetic pulse thrown at you, uh, then power surge, and then a mutiny, and then some pirates, and you just can't do anything because you're just locked out. But the black market also is locked out to you when other people are using it. I think I could. Yeah. So whenever someone uses a black market, no one can access it at all for the next thirty, forty-five seconds, I guess. And when there's four players. If the AI specifically are kind of just buying things really quick on the black market, it's hard to get a look in sometimes. Yeah. So it's it's difficult. I mean, it's not a big dislike, um, but it does feel very harsh when you're winning. And it's definitely not true that there's no warfare. I mean, yes, you don't build soldiers and send them out individually, but you you do Attack. destroy stuff. <laughs> mm. yeah. And I agree with that. I mean, that, that leads into one of my dislikes, and it's just... Uh, I mean, there's a lot going on. Sometimes it's a bit too much. <laughs> I mean, I know it's hard in a game that you play online to mediate it better, but sometimes I'm just feeling like, what the <clears throat> is going on? Um, and especially with the black market attacks. And it's, I guess going back to Mario Kart, it's the kind of the magic, the, the lightning bolt or the blue shell. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like when you're at the front, you just get hit by all the shit all the time. You're like, ah, you I don't know that you're why. in number one position only temporarily until that blue shell turns up. But you can't <laughs> stop. <laughs> now, who, who would have thought that our biggest uh, comparison to this <laughs> this game would be Mario Kart? <laughs> uh, yeah, um, so. I guess one of my dislikes is that it seems to me that there are a few key things that will let you win most matches. <clears throat> so teleportation is a big one uh, because the advantages for having that are huge and there isn't a disadvantage to that one. Most things tend to have a, a good mix, a very well-balanced mix of advantage and disadvantage, but teleportation is purely, oh, well, you've got 80 chemicals and you researched it first, so now... 
they can't get bombed. You're getting all your resources instantly every second, um, and it doesn't. Um, you're not spending as much money on fuel. So, mm. well done you. I don't even think it adds like a massive power draw, which seems like it should. Yeah, be a fair balance to that. Would be like, okay, well, <laughs> yeah, you're not paying for fuel anymore, but you're going to use a lot more power. Um, but it doesn't have that, which I guess is because it's a patent. It's supposed to just be a benefit. But I kind of feel that there are a few of those which make it a bit too easy to win uh, sometimes. Not every time, but a lot of the time. Yeah. No, I agree with that. The teleportation, we always rush to, don't we? So. Yeah, it just needs a little bit more balancing. Like Overall, I think the balance is perfect. I think they've done a really good job of balancing out all the different factions and all the different stuff that go on. Like we were saying a minute ago, if you're building buildings in a snake-like pattern, there's an advantage to it and a disadvantage. That's true of nearly everything, but there are still a few bits where it's just a little bit more fine-tuning needed, I'd say. And I guess my final dislike is just that there's been a few matches and uh, you get two-thirds of the way through and I think you kind of know where it's going. And, I mean, some matches are great. Right to the end, you think, I can win this, I can win this, I just need to send more rockets back. But then sometimes you know that you've lost. Yeah. And that might be two-thirds of the way through the game and then the last you know five or six minutes are a bit miserable because you're just kind of going through the motions even though you know you've lost so um because there's not if you're losing there's not much to do it's not does that make sense it's not like yeah. a to doing game you're not sending units around you're just kind of losing <laughs> it used to be in one of the um earlier versions of the game because i've been playing it for quite a long time now um, so i've seen it iterate as they've been through early access and one of them um i'm pretty sure uh, when you bought out another company then it basically got absorbed into yours and you got all of their resources and all of their buildings and all of their stuff, <clears throat> which either made you insanely powerful because suddenly you'd bought something uh, and now you had even more resources. <laughs> you had like 20 more buildings generating money for you, which seemed fair because you were buying the company. So of course you should own it. And that was quite good because it also, if you knew you were about to be bought out, it meant you could screw people over because you could just sell all the buildings <laughs> and start buying loads of really expensive stuff, running up a ton of debt. So when they bought you, you <laughs> basically uh, <laughs> didn't do a great job for them. But they changed that probably for that reason. <clears throat> and now when yeah. you buy them out, it becomes a subsidy, but not one that you manage. It's just, you know you've spent your money you own the company but you don't get anything you don't get their resources or buildings or anything like that mm. they're basically just out of the game and you can ignore them and i kind of don't like that either because that's not quite that doesn't seem right to me because then you can't predict what they're going to do how it's going to work um and when you get bought out there's not much to do at all well nothing because you've been bought out so you're done um so yeah i i, I agree i think it could be slightly better the end part but overall overall it's good yeah, I guess in summary, I mean, I feel like uh, the game's very replayable, but maybe we're not going to play it over and over and over. I think it's, I guess, again, like a board game, you might, you will probably come back to it every month or two and just play a match or two. I think that's yeah. probably how I envision myself playing it. I wouldn't sit down and say, hey, we've both got a full Saturday off. Let's play this for 12 hours. No, <laughs> no I think, but the odd hour here and there, sometimes we're going to sit back on one evening of the week and go, hey. You free for some gaming? Yeah, watch replay. Ah, trading company. Yeah. I think it would be uh, that sort of game. So it's, I'm really glad to have it in my Steam library, but I'm not expecting to play it constantly. No. It would just be something to come back to. I'd, so. I'd say on that basis, it is quite expensive for what it is. And I feel bad saying that because it's £30. And, you know, you pay that for 
most games. Um, but for something like this, uh, because the match lengths are quite short, because there's limited replayability in a sense, um, because whilst every game is different, because you're going to have all the different ways the stock market manipulates, it's still very samey. Um, so I kind of feel like it's maybe priced too high, uh, which I, I always feel bad about saying that about indie games. Cause it feels <laughs> feels harsh to say, oh, you've dedicated a ton of years of work to this. Uh, and me sat here in my comfortable chair, think you're charging too much for it. <laughs> I bought it when it was only £15. I think it was uh, on sale half price when it went into early access first. Um, I don't know that I would have given it a chance at £30. But I would. I mean, I would buy it for that much, and I think it's a great game, and I enjoy playing it. Um, but I would think, unless you're really into this kind of thing, or what we've been talking about, you're like, wow, that sounds so cool. I definitely want to play that. If you're in the more sitting-on-the-fence camp, probably wait for it to go on sale and then pick it up. Mm. Otherwise, definitely a good purchase. Cool. So any final comments? Are you... Uh... Well, we always ask ourselves, would we play it again and would we recommend it? The first one is obvious because we've said we would. Yeah. Uh, and would you recommend it? I, I think I would recommend it. I, I've got a lot of friends who would enjoy this game. I and mean, going back to what you said earlier about the comparison between it being kind of like a board game, um, I think that's a really good way of describing it. Like if you've got friends that love board games or you're part of a board gaming group that meets up once a week or once a month, whatever it might be, you will find people there that will love this game. Um, for your more general real-time strategy fan, people that are playing things like Civilization or that used to play Command & Conquer games back in the day, they're probably not going to enjoy it as much just because it's much more about money and uh, the stock market side of things and shares and companies rather than actual you know, combat, that kind of stuff. Most of the target audience for an RTS are interested in tanks and planes and bombing stuff, uh, whereas this is definitely not that. Um, <clears throat> so I would say, yes, I would definitely recommend it to all of my geeky friends, but I probably wouldn't recommend it to my friends that are fans of the RTS genre generally. And I, I, I think I sit in exactly the same camp. I mean, if you love board games and you're that kind of numbers geek, then just, just buy it at 30 quid. It's, it's worth yeah. that. If you're not sure if you're going to like it, then as we know, everything goes on sale on Steam yeah. <laughs> at, at various intervals. So um, Add it to your wish list so it, and get a notification when it goes on sale. Yeah, and, and then get it when it's 10 or £15. Pounds. And I, I still think you'll enjoy it, but you know, there's a chance. It is very different. There's a chance you won't. Um, but I, I, yeah, I think it's a good game and I can recommend it to a lot of my friends who I know would like this sort of game. So. This is a great game to go and look at it on Twitch or something like that or see like a Let's Play video on YouTube so you can really see it like and understand what's going on because us describing it, it's probably very hard for people to picture in their minds kind of how this looks and plays. Um, mm. So it's worth going on twitch like if you're on the fence you're not quite sure uh have a look see some videos of people playing it just 10 minutes and you can sort of get a feel for how it looks and plays um and that'll give you a better idea cool well uh you've been listening to connecting the host thanks ever so much for your time i've been john wordsworth joined by my good friend ben dodson and you can check out some more episodes on our website www.connectingthehost.co.uk follow us on twitter at cth cast and don't forget to drop us a friendly little review on itunes if you get the chance so uh thanks again for listening